Bible or on the screen behind me in small font, or you can go to the ctkraleigh.org uh, webpage and it says something on, on the worship link there, and you can always find resources for our worship on Sundays there as well. So we're going to read together from John 1, 1 through 14. If you join your voices with me, you ready? Three, two, one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God in his name, who were born not of the natural descent or of the will of the flesh, will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're just coming through Thanksgiving, and I wonder if you've noticed how few Thanksgiving movies there are compared to Christmas. There are lots and lots of Christmas movies. Uh, there are very few Thanksgiving movies, but my favorite, I think I consider this the classic, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's a real old one now. Starred Steve Martin and John Candy as two traveling partners who go through, a, it's a travel disaster movie. So they're trying to make it home to Chicago for Thanksgiving, and they have to go through problem after problem. First flight delays, then flight cancellation, then the bus breaks down, the train breaks down, they can't stay in the hotel room, they rent a car, the car hits a deer, uh, the deer is inside the car and rips up the car, the car catches on fire. Finally, they ride into Chicago in the back of a refrigerated box truck with a polka band. And it, the whole theme, of course, is like getting home for the holidays. And home is the big thing, right? This is one of the, the big themes of this year. Every time, every time we come around this part of the year, it's about getting home, being home, being with people uh, that you love. And so this Advent season, the theme for our looking at these stories from the Gospels is no place like home for the holidays. Uh, because this idea of being home is so central to what we think of at this time of year. It's part of our ads and our Christmas cards and our movies and our everything. It's sort of shoved in your face a little bit. Um, and yet, that theme of home, and particularly God's hospitality, is central to what the coming, first coming of Jesus was all about, the hospitality of God. So uh, we're going to dive into John chapter 1 today. And I'm looking at this under four headings, homesick, homeless, rehoming, and homies. 
So let's start here. You know, the 19th and 20th century German philosophers have this word, particularly this comes from Martin Heidegger, this word that describes what it's like to be human. And, and the word is unheimlich. Any German people here? No? German speakers? Unheimlich, which means unhoming or unhomeness, not being at home in this world. And they use this phrase to describe, they say this is what everybody actually feels regularly. That there's a sense in which no matter what I do, I don't entirely belong. I mean, is there a table around which I'm truly known and understood? Is there a sense that I will ever be totally safe in this world? Do I have people who really get me? Yes, I have friends, but do they really get me? And this sense of unheimlich is what the German philosophers say. This is what everybody feels all the time. This is what we're wrestling with all the time. We, and we try to fill that void in all kinds of ways. We think, maybe if I buy a house. You know, maybe if I have uh, that special someone. Maybe if we have kids. Maybe if you know, I have the, the page online that looks like everything is together then I will feel at home in this world. And the German philosophers say, no, that's never actually going to be. For all your days, never quite at home. And I think the gospel writer, John, he has another vision, visual of the same thing. He talks about a people walking in darkness, this sense of being lost in the world. Have you ever been in a wild cave without lights, elevators, paved pathways. Anybody ever been one of those? I, I grew up in East Tennessee, and every summer I went to summer camps where we explored wild caves. One of my favorite things, hard hat, flashlight, clothes you can throw away, and really old sneakers. And you go back through the cave, and it, it was always this, like, you leave the world of 90 degrees out in the summertime, and hot summer day in Tennessee, and you go into the world of 50 degrees, and absolutely dark. And, and not dark like dark room in a hotel dark. Not dark like, uh, you know, eye mask dark. This is dark dark. This is crazy making dark. This is the dark where you can wave a hand and you can't see anything. It's a disorienting dark. And we always did this exercise. So we'd be back in the, way back in this cave. And the teacher, the leader would be like, okay, now we're all going to do this exercise for five minutes. We're going to turn off our flashlights. And we never made it. We never made it five minutes. You know why? Because it's disorienting. It's disturbing to be in that kind of sense of like, oh my, we're this much away from like, can't get out, can't see, how to, what, what's going to happen? Some kid always broke and turned on the flashlight. Um, that's John's version of unheimlich. A people walking in darkness. This is the human condition, to be lost in the dark, unable to find your way and not knowing where to go. And this, that feeling that we have is actually a huge hint. It's an enormous, eternal hint placed in your very soul by the God of the universe. Eternity is in the human heart. We're made for God. We're made to be with God. We're made for relationship with God. And a lot of writers have this different say this different ways. The, the British writer G.K. Chesterton said this, after I became a Christian, I understood why I've always been homesick even when I was at home. Or the famous one from St. Augustine, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You know, this homesickness, 
this unheimlich goes really deep in us. It's, it's profound. Homesickness for a home you've never been to. Now, maybe you grew up in a great home. You know, maybe your family still has preserved your childhood bedroom. You still have trophies on the wall or, you know, pictures of you are all around the house. Maybe you had a great childhood. And yet, even for that, there's this sense of something radical and deep. And this is because you are bottomless. You are an infinite being. You are. You have an eternal soul. And you live in skin. And from the outside, you look finite. You look here today. And if you, you see your friends from 10 years ago, and they're like, you look a little different than you used to. The finiteness is setting in. And yet on the inside, it's like going to a well and taking a big rock and dropping it. And you count, right? You count because you're waiting. How long till you hear the splash? And on the inside of your soul, this is how the God of the universe divine can, has, has made you. You can take the rock and let it go. And you'll never hear the bottom. Because you are infinite. You're made for eternal with God. And so we do this thing, right? We stretch our resources. We stretch our money. We try to, uh, we kinda, we, we try to um, steal time against aging. We try to, in, the, this, in this very finite years of our life, cram in experiences and make it all work. And we're trying to stretch the finite over what's an infinite hole in us. An infinite well. Maybe the best thing the very best thing we could do spiritually is just stop and sort of listen to the ache of that and the longing of that. That's so deep and it's so dark. The phrase, fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, it barely scratches the surface of how God has designed you for him. So this is the root of your homesickness. This is what it's like. This is why we feel this sense of like, do I belong? Am I ever okay? Right? Unheimlich. A people walking in darkness, lost in the dark, unable to find our way. The Gospel of John breaks in with the story, uh, it breaks pace too with the other Gospels, with the story of Jesus' coming. You know, where the other Gospel accounts are more interested in shepherds and angels and stars and uh, manger and magi and, and all the details. John doesn't care about any of that. He wants to know, hey, what's really going on? What's the backstory behind Christmas? What's happening in eternity? And so you get these phrases. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was made that has been made. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So much packed into that little statement. John is so interested in what happened behind the scenes in eternity. How did we get God in diapers? Jesus' incarnation. The word became flesh. The eternal word of God. That word incarnation we use. It's, it's two parts. You get this. In, like our word in, but carne, like Chili con carne, in meat, in flesh, 
God come in meat, in flesh, appearing right in front of us, the enfleshment of God. It's incomprehensible. If you spend time trying to figure this out, how does this work? You'll end up rocking in the corner because it doesn't make sense. C.S. Lewis says this really well. He says, the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion that being that what, what is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated and eternal, come into nature, come into human nature, descended into his own universe, the eternal being who knows everything and created the whole universe, became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus and a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think of how it would be for you to become a slug or a crab. I love that. A slug or a crab, right? What was it like for the eternal divine one. Colossians says, in him, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Jesus embracing limits that he had never known. The eternal God coming and saying, leaving omnipresence, being everywhere all at once, to being only in one place, limited, having to be carried around. The God of the universe who was omnipotent, able to do all things, suddenly able to not do anything, can't feed himself. You know, this is the mystery of the incarnation. This is the thing that we celebrate every year at Christmas that should blow our brains wide open. How? Are you serious? But the miracle has another direction to it too, doesn't it? It, it tells us, yes, the process of the incarnation, we read here, the word became flesh, but the purpose of the incarnation, and dwelled among us, and dwelled among us. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And we, we sing these words. We say, he left his father's home. He became homeless for us. You know, he leaves heaven to, to come here. And actually, the, the way that this puts it, the, the word became flesh and dwelled among us, is a word, it's a camping word. Eugene Peterson, in his version of the message, the paraphrase says, he pitched his tent among us. He camped out. He came not just near, but he pitched his tent among us. I want you to think about this. If you, your, your idea of a good house is a giant mansion with a high wall around it. Everything about that says, don't come in. But if you show up in my backyard and you pitch a tent, I assume you're on using the bathroom in my house and the shower and barging your way into my kitchen. This is what the eternal son of God did. I want to have this much access. I want to be this near. I want to be this with. You know, the Greek for this word is that he tabernacled among us. That's an Old Testament word. Goes back to God's people camping in the desert. They're all in tents. And God says, I want you to make me a big tent. We're going to call it the tabernacle, but it's going to be in the middle of all your tents. And it's going to look like your tents from the outside. It's ordinary on the outside, but glorious on the inside. It's completely different on the inside. It's a place of glory. This is why this passage talks about him tabernacling among us. He came and dwelt among us. Jesus, ordinary on the outside, looked like everybody else talked like everybody else. They even said he had an accent. He smelled like everybody else. First century peasant. 
But on the inside, what do we read in this passage? The glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. So homesick, this is our condition. But homeless is what he becomes. Leaves his father's home above to pitch his tent, to be with us and to be near us. The big story of Christmas, as John tells us, this Christmas story, again, is not about Mary and Joseph and angels and baby. It's about Jesus who becomes homeless for the homesick ones in order that he might bring us home. This is the big story for those who walk in darkness. He is going to give them, says, to all who receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God, to bring the homeless ones home. You know, in, in our modern way of talking about this, we have a word for that. That's called adoption. When someone takes a child that was not originally theirs into their home, and it's permanent, and it's legal, and it's binding, and it confers a relationship. Think about adoption. Adoption has a legal status to it. It says here, he gave them the right. In other words, it's not based on the feelings of the person who's being adopted. Do I feel very adopted today? No, it doesn't matter about that. God has said, this is your right by faith. This is yours. Nothing can change that. It's a legal status. You have a new last name, a new legal guardian. It's a legal status, a legal status that confers a relationship. He gave the right to be children of God. Sons, daughters. It's a declaration that confers a relationship permanently. Forever, you get to use language that no one else has the right to use. I have six sons. They are the only six people in the whole world that can use this one name for me. Daddy. Dad. Similarly, God comes in the person of Jesus. says, this is the new way. You get to talk to God. Daddy. Dad. Children of God. And finally, a legal status that confers a relationship that comes at a fee, at a cost. Do you know the, the word rehoming? You know that? That's, it, it's adoption language applied to pets. So you go on Craigslist and you're looking up cats and dogs. We, we know something about this as a family recently. And you go in and you find, here's, here are the puppies that are available. Here are the kittens that are available. Here's the rehoming fee. This is what you have to pay to bring the pet home. And of course, this is a picture for us, again, of what the gospel looks like for us. Jesus comes and he pays the fee to adopt us, to bring us home. We, we use this financial language always in the gospel to talk about Jesus' work, his work and his ministry here. He came to redeem us. That's a word, redemption. We use it for coupons. We use that as a monetary term. He paid a price. We say he paid for our sins. And even at the cross, the word of Jesus on the cross, when he says, it is finished, is a monetary term. Paid in full. The rehoming fee, paid in full. Your adoption is this legal status given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, Here's the problem with adoption. A person who has been adopted, a, a little, a, a dog or a cat that's been brought into a home, doesn't always know 
really deep down what that means on the inside, do they? A child has to adapt to being adopted. You know, some of the pets, your rescues that you've paid the rehoming fee for, never get this sense of like, I actually do have a safe place to sleep at night and I do have a warm bed. I have meals that are coming. No, they, they act like they're strays for the rest of their lives. They bite and scratch, just like many of us do. Can't quite get it in our heads. This is really, really true. This is really, really who you are. Dane Ortland, um, he describes adoption. He says, this is really hard for us to take into our hearts, to really own this. He says, this is why Christians can live years, my language here, with unheimlich, with this sense of like, I know I'm home, I know I'm adopted, but I don't really know. Here's how he puts it. There are two ways to live the Christian life. You can either live it for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can live for the smile of God or from the smile of God, for an identity as a son or daughter of God or from the identity as a son or daughter of God, for your union with Christ or from it. You know the difference? This sense that like I'm always... I'm always just falling short. There's something always wrong, even with him. And the, the, the great message of the, the gospel, the, the story of the incarnation, is that Jesus came near without precondition, prerequisite. He doesn't ask for a resume that's turned in ahead of time. He just draws near. This is the incredible grace of God for sinners. I, I want you to, this is my heart for this church, that over this Advent season, we would take this in. We'd begin to even address the unheimlich in our own hearts. Am I working from or for? Am I living from or for? Is my identity from or for? What defines me? So, <clears throat> as I've said, homesick, our condition. Homeless, what he became. Rehoming, what he does for us. And finally, Homies, yeah, you got it, homies. You heard what I said. Uh, because the, the Christmas story is one of God's radical, proactive, surprising, beautiful hospitality. His welcome home, even as he enters his own creation to adopt us and bring us into his family. So the people of God, look around. I'm serious. Look around. These are your homies. These are your homies. Fellow, homesick, homeless, and rehomed. Others who, other stray cats and dogs who've been adopted into the family of God. That's what you got here, y'all. That's why church feels weird a lot of times. You're like, man, a lot of claws and teeth here, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of crazy in the body of Christ, but these are your homies, and God is in such, he is such a gracious father in the ones that he, the strays that he brings in. So here's the practical implication of Advent for you today. I have two, two application points for you. First is to practice hospitality within the family of God. To practice hospitality. As God has welcomed you, welcome one another to incarnate the gospel. Now we can't incarnate like we're becoming something different like Jesus did but that we live out 
the enfleshedness of God in the relationships we have with one another. We are Jesus with skin on to other people around us. We represent, by the way we act, his welcome of one another. To move into the neighborhood, to draw near to one another as we all feel that sense of unheimlich in our lives. Here's the first one. Practice hospitality at church. Now, I love how in the New Testament, those words always go together. Practice and hospitality. I'm talking practice. Practice. Because none of us are good at it. Nobody's good at this. Nobody's good at this. I think that Scripture has this down for us because it's like, y'all have no idea. You who feel homesick, you have no idea how to welcome each other home. So let's practice this. Practice this to one another. Practice hospitality on your homies. Welcome the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the prodigal, the undeserving, the self-righteous, the Pharisee, the smug, the prostitute, the good, the bad, the nice, and the mean. I'm going to give you 12 action items of ways that you can apply this. You don't have to write all these down. Just pick one, all right? Introduce yourself to people you don't know. Hi, I don't think I've met you yet. Number two, smile at people at church. You'd be surprised, (laughs) sorry, you'd be surprised how many people come through our door every Sunday with a heavy heart. Do you know this? People show up at service and all their nerve endings are exposed because we're coming in to worship the living God. And so people's tears are right there. People's anger is right there. People's hurt is right there. Smile at them. Greet children. You know, if you ignore children, they will feel invisible and they'll get the message they don't matter here. I'm pretty sure every one of you was a child at one point. Greet children. Number four, work to remember names and ask somebody's name if you forget. That's okay. It just means I care. Hey, I know I should know your name. We've talked a dozen times, but it's so important for me to know this. Can you remind me? They're not going to be insulted. They're going to be like, oh, you, you, you care? Number five, invite somebody out or over. Most everybody has no plans after church. I mean, I mean for real, they don't. Six, greet one another with a touch. Shake hands, hug. And of course, okay, of course, ask permission before you hug somebody. But most people never get touched by other people. I mean, there are a lot of moms who've been touched way too much this week in this room. But for the most part, most of you are never touched. And hugging, embracing one another warmly greeting each other. I don't care if it's a fist bump. I don't care if that's, you know, whatever you can do. Living out the the admission of the New Testament, greet each other with a holy kiss. We're not going to kiss, but warmth. Number seven, offer someone, ask somebody about their week and actually listen to them and mean it. Number eight, offer to babysit for a young family or somebody who needs to go out to shop. Send an encouraging text message to someone thinking of you today. So glad you are in my church family. Say, I you when you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. Don't say, where have you been? (laughs) I've missed you. You matter. Number 11, follow up. Somebody tells you something. I have surgery coming up. Wow. Let me write that down and I'll call you that day or text you. Number 12, and this is the last one, don't be shocked. 
I mean, I think everybody here is a stray dog or cat. So if we go back to our feral ways, we shouldn't be surprised other people do. So don't be shocked. I'm going to say this one thing, and I think you probably already know this. The reason people come to a church is they usually come and they're like, oh, I like the music or the preaching at this church. That's what draws them. But do you know why people stay? People stay because of relationships. Christians have an unbelievable tolerance for bad preaching and bad music in churches. And they will stay in a place a long time. Why? Because people care about them. Christians can stay through a lot in a church because people care about them. You know, the church isn't a show. It's a worshiping people of God. It's a family. And it's really important that people, everyone here knows you belong. You matter. You're important. Can we practice hospitality for each other, for your homies? All right, second one, and this is, I'm a little bit cautious about this one, but I'm going to jump in. Go get your homies. Go get your homies. Uh, you know the prodigal son story in Luke 15. The older son who uh, stays at home, the younger son who rebels and runs away. And of course, the surprise ending, this is Jesus' most famous parable, the surprise ending is the father. And when he sees his son down the road, he pulls up his robe and runs. This was not done. This is the shocker of Jesus' parable. Fathers, dignified fathers in first century Jewish households do not run in robes down the road. But this is what God's, this is what our God is like. He runs to sinners. It's the same in planes, trains, and automobiles. Again, my favorite Thanksgiving movie. Um, the best part of the movie is the prodigal son moment. So the movie is a dynamic between Steve Martin, who plays kind of the straight man, and then John Candy, who's the goofball, and who's driving Steve Martin crazy throughout the whole movie. And they're trying together to get back to Chicago. And as they finally arrive in the back of the Polka Band truck, box truck, into Chicago, they go to the L stop, the subway stop, and that's where they're like, well, I guess this is it, goodbye, I'll see you later. And Steve Martin's train comes first, and so he gets on the train. And he sits down and he's sitting there and he's just like, oh, I can't believe we made it. Finally getting to go home and he's picturing his wife and he's picturing Thanksgiving table and he's picturing all the home things, right? And then he goes back and remembers the last couple of days with John Candy and the plane breakdown, the bus breakdown, the car breakdown, the, the deer on the inside of the car, all, all the crazy and he's laughing. And then he re realizes He's heard something he, he missed earlier. John Candy's character says, I haven't been home in years. And he realizes, wait a second. That picture John Candy carries around of his wife, she's not still here. And John Candy's character is homeless. And so he gets off at the next stop. He goes around the other side of the L and he goes back to the station where John Candy is sitting there. And he says, what are you doing here? And of course, Candy's character has nothing to say. He says, come on. And they load up his trunk and they put it on the L and he goes home with Steve Martin. And Steve Martin turns to his wife and she, she's like, who is this? And she's like, this is my new friend. Such a picture of going after the prodigal.
This is maybe a dangerous sermon application, but I'm going to make it anyway. Would you go get the prodigal? Would you go get your homies? There are many people who have left our church or just have fallen away from church in general. And actually the stats on this are not nationally are not like people have all like they hate Jesus and are tired of theology and don't like any of that. They just are out of the habit. And they just need to be welcomed and pursued. It is the saddest thing to disappear from a church and nobody notice and nobody be able to tell. It's really embarrassing to come back to church if you haven't been there in a while. It can feel shameful. And I can tell you as a pastor, if I somebody and I'm like, hey, we haven't seen you in a while, people think that's my job. They're like, oh, he's supposed to do that. He's paid to do that. They sort of discount if James and I make, a, make that phone call. But if you make that phone call, if you call someone else and say, you know what? You need a church family. I know you probably don't have one or you used to have this one. Would you come back with me next Sunday? Would you sit with me? I'll wait for you outside. I just want you to come back. I want you to be welcomed home. If you've been around our church for any length of time, you know some names. You know, one of the great things of being in one service together is you could see who's here and who's not. And if they're not here, they're not here. So go get your homies. Go get your homies. Let's make Unheimlich disappear this Christmas. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the incredible welcome that we have from the God of the universe. And it's hard for us to live out of that and to hold on to that. We thank you for the gift that worship is every week to remind us that we still have your last name and we still have your affection and nothing has changed with the God of the universe, that your love is that constant. Thank you that our adoption is that sure. Father, we pray to be a kind of church that says welcome home every week to one another and goes and brings people in who need a spiritual family. And Lord, that's every person. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.